Amen. What a great song. Jesus is better. I mean, that goes perfectly with our sermon series entitled Jesus is Better from the book of Hebrews. And we are told in Hebrews that Jesus is a better messenger. He's a better leader, a better high priest, a better covenant. Last week we looked at how Jesus is better than the angels. And now this morning what we're going to look at is we're going to transition from chapter 1 of Hebrews to chapter 2. And our, our title is Pay attention. How many of you have a hard time paying attention sometimes, Caitlin Womack? Larry Sherman um, apparently has a hard time paying attention as well. Um, have you ever seen the epic failures like on America's Funny Home, Funniest Home Videos where you see people that are, are walking and texting and they like run into a sign or they run into, um, fall off a, 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 into the water or something like that. Have you ever seen that before? You know, those are some of the funniest videos because somebody took their eyes off of where they were going and they fall. Um, and, and at the expense of others, we're going to laugh this morning. Um, this is a video that actually was put out by some um, um, group um, of, of don't text and drive. So there is one instance where um, the, you'll see a catastrophic failure of a person trying to text and drive. But let's watch this video together. There are real consequences when we take our eyes off of the prize, off of what is on the horizon, right? You know, whenever I was watching that, there, there's a one where the guy has the, you know, he trips over the wet, um, the, the wet floor sign. And did you notice what his buddy did? Just kept on walking and texting as, as he was going. Our theme this morning, again, is our title is Pay Attention. And our message point this morning is Jesus is a better anchor. And, and we know that Jesus is a better anchor. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 9 together. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message um, declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, for which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing. 
nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The first word we see in this first verse is therefore. We all know the rule of thumb. If, if we read the word therefore, we have to ask ourselves, what is it therefore? Well, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's reaching back into Hebrews chapter 1, and, and he, he is, is reminding his readers, based on everything that I've told you up into this point, Pay attention to what I'm about to say because everything that I've said up until this point is pertinent for what I'm going to say after this point. We read in this first verse, we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard. I love how the writer says we here. He doesn't say you. He doesn't say me. He says we. So what we have this morning is a word for all of us in this room, equally for me as well as you and for those that are joining us online. Our first point this morning is this. There is an appeal to pay attention. Pay attention because there is a danger of drifting away. We read again in verse 1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Um, how many fishermen do we have in the room? Okay. Couple, how many of you own a boat in this room? Anyone? How many of you have ever owned a boat? Okay, a few of you have at least owned a boat. So you know if you've owned a boat that, that probably something that you should never leave home without is an anchor, right? What is the purpose of an anchor? An anchor keeps a boat from drifting away, right? Let's say that you lost power and you find yourself drifting dangerously close to the rocks. Well, the difference between colliding with those rocks and potentially um, busting a hole in the side of your boat and sinking your boat could be something as simple as an anchor. Um, this week, I sent out to our leadership team um, a, 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 a question, does anybody own an anchor? And every single one of them said no. So I went out and I bought the church a $16 anchor. So if you ever need an anchor, the church now owns an anchor. And, and this boat, or this anchor right here, is rated um, to boats between 25 and 28 feet long. So that's a pretty good sized boat that this little $16 anchor can help um, help keep you from going adrift. So just like there is an anchor that keeps us from going adrift if we're out on the open water, there's also an anchor that we possess um, in the person of Jesus Christ that also helps keep us from going adrift. We read in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. As believers, we know that Jesus is a sure, steadfast 
anchor, don't we? That is why it is essential for you and I to always remain connected to Jesus. Because when we are connected to Jesus, we will indeed keep from drifting. Notice our second sub-point is, is this. Here's the reality. Drifting can happen to any of us. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably been seasons in our life where we have drifted away, right? I mean, has there ever been a time in your life where you have not drifted away? I mean, I've, I've drifted away. I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. I have stopped allowing Jesus to be the anchor in my life on more than one occasion. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us probably have found ourselves in that position. And so what the the writer is, is encouraging us to do this morning is to make sure that we are connected to Jesus and anchored to Jesus so that we do not drift away. Here's what we know. The Bible is full of examples of individuals that have drifted away, right? Um, I mean, from, from the opening pages with Adam and Eve, they took their eyes off, 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 off Jesus and they drifted away. And, and Cain and Abel, we see an example there. And, and we see that with the, the, the people of God um, during the time of Noah, what did they do? They took their eyes off of God and they drifted away. But there was a boat that was built that, was, that provided shelter for Noah and his family. But going throughout Scripture, we see example after example of individuals that have drifted away. Samson was an example of an individual that drifted away. He was probably the strongest man that has ever walked the face of this earth. There was one weakness that, that could be found, and that was in his hair. If he cut his hair, what would happen? He would lose all of his strength. Well, we know that the rest of the story, don't we? Delilah um, got in there and had somebody cut his hair, and he ended up falling miserably. He took his eyes off of Jesus and drifted away. David drifted away, didn't he? He walked with God. He's declared, he's, he, in Scripture, we read that David was a man after God's own heart, but he drifted with whenever he took his eyes off of the prize and wasn't where he should have been and ended up looking on Bathsheba, and we know the rest of the story there. His, his son Solomon drifted away. He was a righteous man at one point in his life, but what ended up happening to him? He married ungodly women, not just one woman, but hundreds of women, and had hundreds of concubines. One is enough, folks, okay? Let me just, just tell you that. Okay, what was the demise of Solomon? Man, in the end, his life was a wreck, wasn't it? We, we read just the disciples at the very end. Jesus said all of them would abandon him, and all of them abandoned him, including Peter, the rock. Peter denied Jesus three times, but what happened at the end of, of Peter's life? The Lord restored him, right? All of us in this room may drift in our lives, but the key is found in the restoration where Jesus reaches down and restores us just like he did David, just like he did Peter, and just like he did all the other characters that turned back to the Lord. There is a real danger of drifting, but also, and, and based on that, we must also realize that it must be avoided by all of us. The only way to avoid drifting is to stay anchored 
upon Jesus, to be anchored to his word. We're told in scripture that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. We're told it will stand forever. It is true. It has the power to save us and it, and it will help us keep us from sinning. God's word is powerful. It is life-changing. It can change our life and it can change the life of those outside the doors of this church, those that are online, those that are in our houses that are not here this morning. As believers, we must make sure that we are connected and firmly anchored to the Word of God um, because we know that when we hear the Word, hold the Word, hide the Word, find help in the Word, sing the Word, pray the Word, and respond to the Word, that our lives will be forever changed by the God of all creation. When we are anchored to Jesus and his word, then we will avoid going adrift. Notice next, there is a warning that the author of Hebrews provides us, a warning to drifters. In verse 2 through 3a, we read, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The word of God is true, isn't it? Is there anybody in this room that would question that? If you do question that, find me after church because I want to talk with you. The word of God is true. It is reliable. It has stood the test of time. And here the writer tells us that it has proven itself to be true over the course of time. It was spoken truthfully. Um, every word spoken by the prophets, by Jesus and the angels proved to be reliable, proved to be true. And we see here um, our first... Um, a little sub-point here is God's word is reliable. Not only are we told in this verse that the word of God is reliable, but we are also told that with every broken law comes a just retribution. Translated, it means this. Sin has consequences. Okay, All of our sin has consequences. That first sin that was committed in the garden between Adam and Eve had consequences that you and I are still um, are, are experiencing today. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin is eternal death. But Romans 6.23 also goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The consequence is death, but if we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can be assured that we will receive the gift free gift of eternal life. We also see that, that death is what we deserved, but life is what has been made available because Jesus provides salvation. Sin has consequences, but through Christ comes a great salvation. In verse 3, we read, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What that verse is saying is this. If you choose not to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be consequences that will come. Because nobody can escape the great salvation that has been provided through Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus that a person can gain access to God the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Let us not neglect the word of God. 
Let us stand upon the Word of God. Let us turn to the Word of God because it is reliable and it has stood the test of time. The writer also continues here and says, um, talks about the assurance made to drifters. In the latter part of verse 3 and 4, we read, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according According to his will. There are so many people in this world that would fall into the category of being a Thomas. You know, in scripture, you know who Thomas is. He's referred to as doubting Thomas. Um, what, did, what, did, what did Thomas want? Man, after he heard that Jesus had resurrected from life, he didn't believe, did he? He wanted to see with his own eyes and touch with his own hands the nail scarred hands of Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room, um, you are a little skeptical, okay? You may um, be a little bit on the doubting Thomas side. These are people that will only believe if they can see it with their own eyes and touch it with their own hands. But I want you to know that there is evidence of Jesus's resurrection, okay? The first, first evidence is this. Jesus himself. Jesus would bring to fulfillment countless number of Old Testament scriptures. Following Jesus' resurrection, he would spend 40 days on the earth. And hundreds of people saw the resurrected Jesus. Even Doubting Thomas was able to put his fingers into Jesus' nail-scarred hands. It was confirmed by those who heard the gospel. The disciples went on to declare after Jesus' ascension, the resurrected Jesus. They preached the gospel. They declared the crowds, the hundreds of people that saw Jesus resurrected, declared his resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, 120, what did they do? Man, they hit the streets and they began preaching the gospel and declaring the good news of salvation. It was confirmed by those who performed miracles in Jesus' name. Through the name of Jesus, people were healed. Those people that were healed, what does it say in Scripture? They did. They got up off of their mats, and they went out, and they declared to other people what Jesus Christ had done. Man, the, the, the lame could speak, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, and they went out, and they declared what Jesus Christ had done to them and through them. It was also confirmed through the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we remain anchored to Jesus, not only will our lives be changed, but there is a good chance that the lives of those we do life with will be changed as well. Come to Jesus this morning if you have not already, because Jesus is better, and Jesus is a better anchor. Notice our next, next point is this, a plea for right understanding. Having right understanding is always important, isn't it? Pretty essential. The ability to focus on the truth and be grounded in the truth is critical for us as believers. This is not news, but we live in a world that often likes to spin what we call fake news or falsified news, or they like to twist the truth and make it into fake news. It is important for us to be able to recognize what is truthful from that which is not. You remember what the religious leaders and, and, and the Romans did following Jesus' resurrection? Um, they, they conspired amongst themselves 
to start sharing some fake news about Jesus' resurrection by saying that Jesus did not rise to life again, but his body was stolen. That is the greatest of all fake news, and it's also news that people still believe today. That, that, that false news is still being spread today. What we see in the, the next verses of Scripture is, is the author, um, especially in verse 5, makes it abundantly clear that fake news is believing that angels are better than Jesus. Notice dominion was never given to angels. Verse 5, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. God never appointed angels to rule over this world, did he? He created them to serve, not lead. As angels, um, in Scripture, we, 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 we see that they are worshipers of God, they are messengers of God, they are servants of God. They were never created to have dominion over others. So dominion was not given to angels, but notice this, dominion was given to man. Adam was the first man, and he and Eve were created by God and were given dominion over all things, all animals, all of God's creation. In Genesis 1.28, we read, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When Adam and Eve sinned as a human race, we clearly lost some of that dominion, didn't we? Some people like to say, no, we still have absolute dominion over the animals and over creation and over everything else. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to, um, after the service is over, I want you to go find you a scorpion, um, a rattlesnake, and a, a deadly... Um, one of those hornet things, okay? One of those murder hornets. And I want you to pet those and tell me what happens to you after that. There's a good chance you're going to get bitten or stung or something like that. What we once had clearly changed after the fall, right? But there's coming a day when that will be restored back to us. Continue reading with me this morning. In verses 6 through 8, the writer reaches back in the Old Testament Scripture and quotes from Psalm 8. We read, It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Let's first focus on the first part of this passage of Scripture, um, where, where, where the, the, the writer is quoting from David, and, and that word, what is man? Have you ever felt like you are insignificant? Have you ever felt like you are just taking up space on this planet? You ever feel like no one loves you or cares about you? I want you to know this morning that you are valued in the eyes of God. God is mindful of you. He created you. He gave you, gave you the breath of life, and he loves you. In fact, he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. He is mindful of you. He loves you. And as a faith family, we love you as well. In, in verse 6, again, we read, What is man 
that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him. You are valued in the eyes of God. You are loved by God. A man, we are told in Genesis that we are the apex of his creation. You know, this psalm, um, before, before David uttered the words, what is man? Um, in, in verse 8, the very first verse, um, David starts out praising the Lord. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Uh, he praises the Lord. And then he drops down into verse 3. He, he begins with, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. You know, I can just envision David one night stepping outside onto his balcony and looking up into the, the sky and looking up into heavens and just being grateful for all of God's creation. The other, the other day, Danny and I were, um, on Thursday was her birthday, so everybody wish Danny happy birthday. One, two, three. Happy birthday. Um, it was her birthday, and so we were coming back from dinner and we were, we were heading back um, on, on 121, and we were heading, um, I guess, heading east. And, and Danny um, just commented on the sky. She said, man, the sky is just full of all these different colors. There's blues and purples and pinks. And she said some other colors. And I'm like, do you not remember my sermon from last Sunday? I'm colorblind, okay? But I can just envision David looking up at the sky and just being amazed at God's creation. That's what we see in this particular passage of Scripture. Um, again, at one point we were given a position of authority to rule over all creation. We were given perfect fellowship with God in a perfect environment, the garden. The sad reality is this, for Adam and Eve that was not enough for them, was it? They wanted more. How many people have you ever known that at their demise was the fact that they wanted more and more and more and more? They could never get satisfied with what they had. Well, that is kind of the picture we get of Adam and Eve. They had everything that they could ever want, but the serpent said, hey, there's one more thing that you don't have and persuaded them to eat of the forbidden tree. We all know the consequences of that. That first sin created a cataclysmic shockwave that is still being felt thousands of years later. We live in a world that is sin-filled. There is destruction, disaster, sickness, murder, death, wickedness, lawlessness all around us. You know what else is, has come with the fall? Telemarketers. Okay? How many of you get those... Um, those phone calls from, that you need to extend your, your, your warranty on your car, okay? Nobody likes a telemarketer. Well, when I was at this point in my sermon prep the other day, um, I got a phone call um, from one of these telemarketers, and the person on the other end said, Hi, William, I'm calling to ask if you want to sell your property on Canadian Circle. I said, first of all, my name is not William, and I don't live on Canadian Circle. She then goes, do you want to sell your property? And I responded, why don't you sell your property? And then she hung up after that. Um, so, not, so not only did sin result in the destruction of all things, but also in telemarketers. You know what accompanied the fall of man? Our loss of dominion. Adam was given dominion over all the animals and all creation. However, the depravity of man has become so great that some actually believe that you and I are on the same plane as other animals within creation. Have you ever heard of a group called PETA? 
Okay, that stands for um, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals. This organization is trying to get you and I to stop perpetuating oppression toward animals. Um, last week, I was driving around, and I heard a DJ talking about this, and i like, this can't be real. And so I went back, and I looked it up, and it is real. Um, they tweeted out, Peter tweeted out these words, words cannot cre- can create a more inclusive world or perpetuate oppression. Calling someone an animal as an insult reinforces the myth that humans are superior to other animals and justified in violating them. Stand up for justice by rejecting supremacist language. So what are they wanting us to do? They want us to stop calling somebody um, by an animal's name like, like Kel up here, okay? Kel, I'm not going to call you a chicken anymore, but you know what I'm going to call you? I'm going to call you a coward, okay? So that's what they're wanting us to do. Stop referring to people as names of animals because we're, we're devaluing animals when we do that. So instead of calling someone a chicken, call them a coward. Instead of calling them a rat, call them a snitch. Instead of calling somebody a snake, call them a jerk. My mama said never to call anybody a jerk, so maybe find a better word there. Instead of calling them a pig, call them repulsive. Instead of calling someone a sloth, call them lazy. Folks, I wish I was making this stuff up, but you can't make this up. This is how some people actually feel and they believe. They believe that we are on the same plane as the animal kingdom. Well, here's the problem with that, okay? That's not what God said, is it? God created us as the apex of his creation, and he put all of the animals under our subjection. The problem is the fall changed all of that. It didn't change it to the point that we were on the same plane as animals, though. Notice next, dominion belongs to Christ. We read, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Christ, we know, was victorious. He came, he conquered, and he completed, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in the heavenlies. We read in verse 9, that, that we get this beautiful picture of Jesus' accomplishments. And, and it's kind of like this. We see the, the different phases of Jesus' life. We're, we're, we're the, the, the author says, but we see him. Notice in what way that we see him. We are told that for a little while, Jesus was made lower than the angels. Okay? Now, I want you to know right now, that does not mean that Jesus was... Um, was lower in his deity or his personhood of, who, of the angels, okay? Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. At no time did angels have authority over Jesus. Jesus has and will always have authority over the angels. So when it says in this scripture that Jesus was made a lower, little lower than the angels, it's a proximity thing. It is not a... a, 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 a um, on, on, on the ladder of, of authority plane thing here. His position was lower because he left heaven, but no way was he inferior to angels. Remember what we looked at last week? The angels worshiped Jesus. 
throughout every aspect of Jesus' life. They worshipped him at his pronouncement, at his birth, after his temptations, in the garden, at his resurrection, at his ascension. They declared that he would return just as he left. And today around the heavenlies, around the throne of God, they are worshipping King Jesus. In fact, we're told that they are prostrate on the ground worshipping him. So continue reading in verse 9. Um, um, or continuing in verse 9, the author again confirms that Jesus did not remain on earth following his death and resurrection. So we see Jesus go from, from walking amongst us, and then we see Jesus ascend to the rightful place next to God the Father in the heavenlies. And we read in this passage of Scripture um, that Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death. Jesus had to come. Our hope for eternity could only be satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. It's not through man. It's not through good works. It's not through living a good life. It is only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ when we repent of our sins and declare Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our lives. With Jesus' death, we read here in the latter part of verse 9, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted death. He did not just take a little nibble of death. He didn't take a bite out of death, but he went all in, didn't he? How many of you remember back in the day, which I guess was about a year ago, um, you and I used to be able to go to Sam's or Costco, and we could walk up and down those aisles, and, and they had those little samples out for you, and you could grab one of those, and you could eat that. What was that? Man, we got a little nibble of the full product, right? When Jesus came, he didn't take just a sample of death. He didn't take a bite out of death. Jesus came, and he died fully for us. He took his final breath on the cross, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. For three days, he, he remained in that. Um, 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 he, he, he was dead. But three days later, what happened? Jesus rose to life again. Physically, Jesus rose and conquered death. And by him conquering death, all of us in this room can enter into a personal relationship with him and receive the gift of eternal life. When Jesus came again, he did not just sample death. He fully died so that you and I could be fully brought to eternal life. My prayer for all of us in this room this morning, for all of those that are joining us online this morning, it is this, that you and I will remain fully anchored upon the rock of Jesus. When we catch ourselves drifting, which is going to happen, at that moment we must drop anchor and turn back to God and rely upon him to keep us firmly planted and steady. Let's pray that the Lord will keep us from going adrift. You may be here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to invite you today to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to place your faith and trust in Jesus, to repent of your sins, and to cry out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. You may join, be joining us online. You don't have a relationship with Jesus today. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Experience life. 
You may be here this morning and man, or watching, and you've been drifting for some time now. Today is the day that, it, that you need to return to the Lord, drop anchor, and, and firmly find yourself planted in the Word of God. Commit to Jesus. Take His Word and do what it says. Respond to it. And may you and I be individuals that are committed to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever it is that we might go. This right here, this is important. It keeps us from drifting, um, from physical drift, right? This is a good anchor, but it's not the best anchor. This anchor right here, the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a sure anchor that we can be certain that we will not go adrift as long as we stay in this. You may be here this morning. You don't know Jesus. I want to invite you to come and, and turn to Jesus. Let's stand together. You may be here this morning. The Lord's, um, you've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord's leading you to make friendship your church home. We'd love for you to do that. You may be here this morning. You may need to come to this altar and just kneel down and pray. I don't know what decision you need to make, but I want to invite you to do it. I don't know what decision you need to make online, but I want to invite you this morning to do it. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just again, thanking you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thanking you, Father, for providing a way that we can um, know that we're not going to drift away from you. And that is that will occur when, when we are anchored to you. So help us, Lord Jesus, be firmly anchored to you, firmly anchored to your word, and help us to be obedient and do what your word says. Father, one of the most important um, truths that we find within your word is that it is only through a personal relationship with you that a person can enter into um, eternal life enter into heaven. There may be someone in this room, Lord Jesus, that is, that is yet to repent. May today be the day that they do that and, and turn to you, repenting of their sins, and turn to you and ask you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, your word says that if, if a person does that, then they will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There may be some here this morning that's been drifting. May today be the day that they drop anchor. Lord, move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come. If you need to come trust in Jesus, you come. You need to come making friendship your church home, you come. You come.